Hi, my name is Mandy Jackson Beverly, and I'm a bibliophile. Welcome to the Monday edition of the Bookshop Podcast, where I interview booksellers and independent bookshop owners from around the world. You're listening to episode 124. To help the show reach more people, please share with friends and family and on social media. And remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast. Today, I'm exploring a bookshop of a different kind, set within a National Historic Landmark and specializing in books on architecture and landscaping. The Gamble House is an iconic American craftsman home in Pasadena, California, designed by the architectural firm Green & Green. Heather J. Marquez is the Director of Retail Operations at the Gamble House Conservancy. Hi, Heather, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. My absolute pleasure. I'm looking forward to hearing about the books you sell at the bookshop at the Gamble House and, of course, the Gamble House itself and its history. But can you begin by telling us a little about Charles and Henry Green, what brought them to Pasadena, California, and why it is crucial the ultimate bungalows and the furniture the two brothers designed are protected? So Charles and Henry Green are, like you said, brothers who designed the Gamble House. Um, They were born in 1868 and 1870, so two years apart. And from an early age, their parents decided for them that they were going to be architects. Henry's brain is kind of suited for that profession, but Charles really wanted to be an artist and studied watercolor and all sorts of things that later it was able to incorporate into his work. But really, they were born in Ohio. Um, They spent a lot of time growing up in Missouri, ended up on a family farm in West Virginia. So they were exposed to a lot of natural, you know, things around them um, growing up in nature. Um, They were sent to a manual training school um, when they were boys that it's not only incorporated academics, but also um, learning how to build with your hands. So, you know, with natural materials, whether that was wood or glass or metal, that was really a focus of that school. Um, in college, they went to MIT in Boston for a two-year program um, where they learned about architecture. And really, once they completed the program, they started working as interns at local architectural firms in Boston. Um, but pretty soon, there was a, um, a time where there was not a lot of money being put into homes. It was an, economic, an economically hard time uh, money-wise. And so the opportunities kind of dried up in Boston. At that point, their parents had moved here to Pasadena and were really encouraging them to come here and join them here in Pasadena. And it ultimately um, became apparent they didn't really have another choice at that point. So they came home and that's how they came to Pasadena. And that was 1893-ish. And then in terms of like why it's important to preserve their work in the Gamble House specifically is I like to think of it as, you know, as booksellers, we're storytellers. We like to share stories within these books with people and the Gamble House is really telling its own story. And so we want to preserve their work um, so we can share the story of the Green Brothers, of the people who lived here, of the time itself. So it's not only a beautiful thing to look at, 
but it really tells a story as a whole. That was a great little timeline. Thank you. And we'll get more into the bookish part of things a little later. But I was wondering, where did the Japanese influence and the use of ma in their work derive? So we know that while they were living in Boston, the boys, um, MIT was located really close to the Museum of Fine Art there in Boston, which held the largest collection of Asian art um, outside of Asia. So we know that they went there um, and were exposed to the Japanese art. Um, On their way to Pasadena, they stopped at the uh, World Columbia Expo in Chicago. And there was a great exhibition that had Ho'oden on display, which were 11th century style Japanese temples, like smaller versions of them. And um, what was special about this exhibit was that the Japanese government sent out not only the materials for the exhibit, but craftspeople to assemble them so that they were authentically Japanese. And we know that that exhibit made an impact on them. And then down the line in future years, um, when they were hired by Adelaide Titchener of Long Beach, um, she was traveling and there was a Japanese pavilion and Chinese campus um, in 1904 that she insisted that they come see before they started working on her house because she was liking what she was seeing. So all these things combined were kind of where the Japanese influence kind of comes into play when you're looking at their architecture. Yes, and the two brothers would have seen it through completely different eyes, one with that more intimate, arty, creative feel, and the other one with more of a logical, structural, still creative feel, which I find fascinating. And when the brothers first arrived in Los Angeles, were their designs immediately accepted, or was there a delay in appreciating their talent? It definitely took a little bit of time for them to get started. They opened up their practice in 1894 on Colorado Boulevard, and it took some time for them to be known a little bit. You know, there were a lot of socializing going on. Their father was kind of steering them, um, like who to socialize with, what clubs to be involved with, that kind of thing, so that they were being offered opportunities to do work. And initially, when they started in Pasadena, they were kind of modeling their designs um, based on a lot of what they were already seeing here in the community. Um, And it really wasn't until after Charles's honeymoon, he got married in 1901 to a woman named Alice and they honeymooned in Europe. And so they visited England, Scotland, Paris, around the time where the arts and crafts movement was really booming there. And so him getting to view houses built by Charles Voicy, where not only was it the architecture being designed, but also the furniture too, um, was very inspirational for them. Charles and Alice on their way home back to Pasadena, they also stopped in Lincoln on the city Um, But they stopped at another international exposition um, where they noted uh, the work of Gustav Stickley was being shown. And so we think that was definitely influential as well. 
And so when they returned to Pasadena, Charles started to design his home for himself and Alice. And then next door, uh, he designed a home for her three sisters. So they were building this little community. And those homes are within walking distance of the Gamble House. There's a whole little row of houses <laughs> designed by Green and Green that people can come and walk, walk and view from the outside. And that kind of kicked off this look that they're now really well known for. Um, and they became so busy, they didn't know what to do with themselves. because <laughs> They were overwhelmed with work. <laughs> yes, I can imagine. And in your eyes, what makes the Gamble House in Pasadena a standout piece of art? What makes the Gamble House so special is it's the only place that the public can come and view the work of Henry and Charles Green as it was meant to be viewed. There are pieces of green and green furniture available in museums across the country, but when you see it inside the house where it was kind of designed for in mind, it's just a whole altogether different experience. Another thing to note is that the brothers designed everything down to the smallest detail. There's furniture with this intricate metal inlay work. There's carpets, rug carpets, where, you know, they designed them. And when one of the rugs wasn't to their liking, they had the specific color removed and intricately corrected. And, you know, the glass and the brickwork and everything was specifically designed a certain way and overseen seen as it was being constructed to make sure it was being built exactly in the way they envisioned. Yes, I've seen the rooms with the green and green furniture at the Huntington Library. Oh my goodness, it's just exquisite. And I do need to get to the Gamble House. I'd like to ask you a question about the photographer Yasuhiro Ishimoto's work. Did his photographs of the homes designed by Green and Green do anything to accelerate their popularity in the 1970s? So Ishimoto was born in the Bay Area. He grew up in Japan and then came back to the U.S. for college before returning to Japan. But so what prompted him to photograph Green and Green's work in the 70s um, was he was hired for a magazine to photograph their work. So he came here and photographed the work um, and it definitely increased their visibility there in Japan. The work that he did wasn't really available to Americans until I think it was 2016. They did an exhibition of his work here where it was really the first time that Americans were able to see it um, firsthand. And do you have copies of his work in the bookshop? I do. I have a lot of uh, exhibition catalog <laughs> from that. Uh, exhibition. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure that's fantastic. Now, I would love to hear about the Gamble House Bookstore, your curated collection, the staff picks, and how readers can support the Gamble House Bookshop through bookshop.org. Sure. Our bookstore is kind of an eclectic mix of books focused on architecture, art, the arts and crafts movement, gardening, local history. Um, and because of that, we have our own site, shop.gamblehouse.org, that kind of is focused on things we carry in the store. And then we have a bookshop.org site um, that's a way for staff and volunteers to make more generalized recommendations of books that we enjoy. So there's two opportunities for people to support the Gamble House, um, depending what they're looking for. And bookshop.org have been a godsend to many independent bookshops in the United States and the UK. 
While I was looking over the Gamble House website, I couldn't help but wonder how many staff work to keep the Gamble House and gardens preserved. So there's only seven of us, uh, six full-time staff, but we are really supported by a large volunteer organization, uh, the Gamble House docents. We have over 100 of them who are active. Um, They support us in ways such as giving tours to the public. They make flower arrangements every week that are on display in the house. They help us in the bookstore. There's all sorts of things that they do behind the scenes as well. Uh, So really, we couldn't do it without them, but we work very hard with the volunteers to keep things going. I have enough trouble keeping up with the dusting in our house, especially the wooden bookshelves. I can only imagine what it must be like to dust and preserve the wood in the Gamble House. (laughs) Yes, it takes a lot and it's very expensive. (laughs) So we uh, work very hard to try to keep that, you know, looking its best. Well, you all do a fantastic job. Now, as I mentioned to you earlier, I live just a little south of Santa Barbara and I was up at Lotusland recently And as I've mentioned in the podcast before, I love finding connections. And I realized while I was researching the Gamble House that Henry Green's granddaughter, Isabel, is a landscape designer who worked on the renovation work at the outdoor theater at Gunnawalska Lotusland in Santa Barbara, which Gunnawalska purchased in 1941. And on the Gamble House website, I read that there is soon to be an Isabel Green Garden at the Gamble House. Is this project in the works or has it been completed? It's actually done. I saw that spot on the website. I need to talk to somebody about updating that. But um, so she completed the work, I believe, in 2016. The idea was to kind of um, reimagine the garden to become sort of what it was at the time period. For a while, there were just some like rose bushes there. Um, So they've kind of redesigned it um, and reimagined it to be a place that would more accurately represent the time period, but also a place where people can just linger. Um, Whether you have a book in your hand or a lot of times we see like dog walkers taking a pause, you know, with their puppies in the back. um, And it's just kind of a nice, quiet, peaceful spot to enjoy located right behind the bookstore. I think it's wonderful because she was probably at the house as a child and then to be invited to come back and do what she does best, which is the landscaping. It just seemed right. Yeah, she was definitely really happy to be able to be a part of that. They dedicated the garden to the memory of her cousin, too, who had passed away, another one of Henry's grandchildren. So it's a beautiful way for her to be able to you know, help contribute to the preservation of her grandfather's work. Now, in an article in metmuseum.org titled The Arts and Craft Movement in America, Monica Obniski in June 2008 wrote, quote, The arts and crafts movement emerged during the late Victorian period in England, the most industrialized country in the world at that time. Anxieties about industrial life fueled a positive reevaluation of hand craftsmanship and pre capitalist forms of culture and society. Arts and craft designers sought to improve standards of decorative design, believed to have been debased by mechanization, and to create environments in which beautiful and fine workmanship governed. The arts and craft movement did not promote a particular style, but it did advocate reform 
as a part of its philosophy and instigated a critique of industrial labor. As modern machines replace workers, arts and crafts proponents called for an end to the division of labor and advanced the designer as craftsman, end quote. I know that's a long quote, but it's a fantastic one. My question is, did Charles and Henry Green write or speak about this aspect of their work and how it affected their designs? I'm told that they did. I have not personally had the opportunity to read anything. Um, I've been told that there are letters in our archives where they talked about it and that there have been articles written by them where they discuss the arts and crafts movement specifically. But really, I think it's very apparent in their work, um, especially when you consider the great efforts they made to work with local craftspeople, the Hall brothers, who did a lot of the woodworking and just my understanding is every day Charles would go to these studios to check on the progress and to make sure that they were interpreting because there are so many ways to interpret a blueprint design, make sure they were interpreting it correctly. And like I mentioned with the rug story earlier, you know, if things were not exactly to the specifications, making sure to go back and correct, but there was a lot of value placed on things being done by hand which is a lot of what the arts and crafts movement is about working with your hands, um, things being not only functional, but beautiful and surrounding yourself with the beauty of seeing the beauty in the world around you. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing that always grabs me about green and green architecture and especially their furniture is the simplicity of it. It's not overdone. And yet you can see and feel the beauty and the craftsmanship and the creativity in their designs. It's obvious they valued craftsmanship. Definitely. Yeah, not trying to be too showy. (laughs) Yes. And that alone is relaxing. Okay, so let's get back to the bookshop. Can you recommend a book, or perhaps in your case, a few books on the arts and crafts movement and the Gamble House that are available at the Gamble House bookshop? So my top, top book um, is this book called Building Paradise in California. Uh, It is um, a compilation of essays written by our um, recently retired executive director, Ted Bosley and our archivist and our curator and local historian, Bob Winter. Essays about the landscaping, about the house, about the brothers, about the family who lived there, along with beautiful photography by Alex Burdikoff. He's very well known for his architectural photography, but so this book um, is available on our shop.gamblehouse.org website. Um, and whether you visited and just want to be able to, you know, reminisce about your time, or if you've never seen it, just the photographs are really stunning. So I highly recommend that one. If you're looking for other books on the arts and crafts movement, so we have a couple of re- relatively recent titles that have come out. Um, one is by Arnold Schwartzman, um, and actually features a, an image from inside the house on the cover where he talks about arts and cra- the arts and crafts movement and arts and crafts architecture. And then there's another book by Julian Holder, Beauty's Awakening, I believe is on the title. And I've been hearing a lot of really great things about that book. We're hoping to have him do an event with us in the future. 
And for listeners who are contemplating a trip to Los Angeles, I recommend going out to Pasadena. First of all, you have one of my favorite museums, the Norton Simon Museum. You have the Huntington Library and Gardens. You have Gamble House and fabulous restaurants and coffee shops. Heather, can you share with us the hours and the website so people can find out more about the Gamble House, please? Sure. Um, The bookstores and the house is open for tours on Tuesdays and then Thursday through Sunday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. If uh, folks are interested in taking a tour, we highly recommend booking in advance. Uh, We are offering limited tours and uh, capacity because of COVID. And our website is gamblehouse.org. And before we go, what is your favorite part of your job? (laughs) Well, I recently posted a picture of the front door from the inside of the house and uh, with the caption, uh, this view never gets old. So it's just such a nice place to be. You know, the it really does make a difference in your work life to be surrounded by beautiful things and beautiful people. You know, my, my coworkers are all great people. Um, so I really just enjoy being here and being able to work with books again. Well, they're lucky to have you. And Heather, thank you so much for taking time out to be a guest on the Bookshop podcast and for sharing your knowledge about the Gamble House and Bookshop. Thank you again for this opportunity. It was a really good time. Make sure to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Mandy Jackson Beverly. And check out my website at mandyjacksonbeverly.com. And if you'd like to contribute to the coffee fund, go to thebookshoppodcast.brassprout.com, click on the little orange heart in the right-hand corner of the page, and you can donate using PayPal. Your contributions support the production and editing costs of the show. For information regarding sponsoring an episode, email thebookshoppodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Theme music provided by Brian Beverly.